Hello, my friends, and welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft podcast. We're talking about Willy's Wonky magic or something like that. Are we talking Willy Wonka? You wanted to talk about Willy Wonka, Chris, is that right? Yeah, I suppose. What I want to kind of talk about is because obviously with Willy Wonka, it was all about his magical chocolate factory and him having magical magical cre- creatures getting involved in his kind of mundane chocolate making. So what I kind of wanted to hit on. It was about slavery and it was about stealing, wasn't it? I trust you to go to the wokeness factor. No, I I wanted to avoid the wokeness and talk more about the kind of balance of that kind of magical and mundane. So I know we've done um venusian versus planet uh venusian versus mercurial but now i'm kind of thinking we need to touch on finding that that balance between your magical practice um you know umpalumpas and your actual mundane life so making chocolate not me not me Bumper lumper dooby dee doo. Have we got a secret for you? Yeah, we have got a secret. We've got many secrets. What secrets are we going to give away, Mr. Chris? About magic and that. Well, I suppose we definitely need to start with my cautionary tale stuff, as usual, of reminding people that um, protection magic is pointless. Um, which is what everybody focuses on when they first start out, because that's what all them books say, isn't it? When really... Stranger danger. Stranger danger. (laughs) Well, it should be stranger danger. In school, in the 90s, they had stranger danger, which was don't get into a stranger's car or anything like that when you walk home from school and stuff. Now, my friend who's a counsellor goes on and on and on about how they don't do that anymore. You shouldn't tell children that because most child abductions apparently happen by someone that the child already knows. So (laughs) saying stranger danger and getting them to be scared of strangers, actually, they're more likely to be abducted by someone that they know, especially if that person they know owns a sweatshop. Mr. (laughs) So... How can we compare and contrast Charlie's, well, sorry, Mr. Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? I where, suppose it was Charlie's one day. Well, it's eventually Charlie's, basically Charlie's now, <laughs> isn't it? But with the Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, where what did he do? Force these Oompa into servitude? I think the newer edition was they bribed them with the cocoa bean, didn't they? They were rare cocoa beans. Well, we can do a, this is basically a parody of what they did with diamonds, because diamonds apparently are a girl's best friend. Diamonds ain't worth what you think diamonds are worth. There are far more diamonds in the world. Basically, what happened was diamonds were a rarity. And then when they discovered more, a group of individuals of great power from the financial world and such, some would call them the Illuminati, Really, they're probably more like the accountants of the Illuminati. 
Um, they got together and they said, look, we've got more diamonds. Let's still restrict the flow of diamonds because otherwise the price will go down. And let's create this advertising campaign, right? It's going to be like a Christmas song and there's going to make us loads of money, but it's going to be better than a Christmas song. It's going to be this repetitive thing, this thing that is so ingrained within culture, it cannot get away. Do you know what this thing they came up with was, Mr. Chris? Um, Valentine's Day. No, you're very close though. They came up with the idea that it is only acceptable to give a woman a diamond ring. Oh yeah, for an engagement. Yeah. yeah, smart. Many, many, many women ask and want diamond rings now for engagements and such, and that is a little bit of a marketing uh, magic. But no, I was comparing, sorry, Willy Wonka and the, what is it, cruel subjugation of the Oompa Loompas with those children that you abduct put in your basement on the looms, you know, because we all know Chris has got lots of looms. They're working their way on the looms. How often do you go and check on them to bring food and water? Oh, I have somebody for that. Yeah, someone for that. Is it one of the other? It was. Is it one of the original children, like the earlier ones that have grown up a little bit now? That are basically they're kind of like there's that word, isn't there? I forget what it is. When you kind of grow accustomed to your your kidnapper, yeah, yeah, your kidnapper. I forget what the term is. But you've got a supervisor, have you? A supervisor. Yeah, one that's slightly bigger than the others. Because they're a little bit older. Is that one hit puberty yet? Yes, I've been doing this a long time, Liam. Right, okay. Anyway. And then and the phrase you're after is Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm My brain syndrome. couldn't fo focus then for a second. Well, the police do really need to send someone to your house to check the basement of your house because those poor, poor children. I mean, if I really cared about children, I might do something about it, but I don't. <laughs> anyway, we're six minutes in and we've not discussed anything of substance other than the tricks of the diamond industry, these diamond geezers. So let's talk about whatever the fuck we're supposed to be talking about today. Willie's wonky magic, mundane versus magic this yeah. right a balance striking a balance which i think is important particularly for you know your everyday your normal everyday insta witch isn't going to have to worry about this because i'll never do any magic that really actually matters but the um those that actually want to have a real magical practice and start pushing up some of those levels leveling leveling up getting to those next next part their feet wet, dipping their toes in yeah because that's what they do in it they dip their toes in and then they go and rent out one of those uh paddle boards <laughs> don't what don't start again okay well come on then you're talking about willie's wonky magic is it about a grounding or something like that is that we were talking about mundane versus magical because it chocolate's quite good for that isn't it chocolate chocolate's good for grounding that's a new chocolate's one on me good for grounding. chocolate's good for yeah chocolate's good for grounding chocolate's good for um when you've done a possession work and you bring yourself back 
it feels a bit tired and draining and stuff. Chocolate's good for that, yeah. It's for trail. That's that's not for grounding though, is it? That's for chocolate would also ground you. There's been quite a lot of studies and stuff done on processed foods and stuff like that, and how it, it basically makes you less psychic and such. So if you all these people that are a bit ditzy that are kind of like, oh, I see the spirits and uh, wishy-washy types, you know, the new age types. Really what they need to do is stop doing yoga and they need to start eating chocolate. Because at the end of the day, who likes chocolate and pies? The neo-pagan community, you can tell. Well, just look at them. And who are the least psychic? It's the neo-pagans, isn't it? So... <laughs> The ones that eat the most chocolate and sugary treats and stuff seem to be the less psychic, right? So it must close off the third eye, surely. Oh, okay. So what you're basically saying is it's another one of your conspiracy theories for the Illuminati that they made chocolate popular, popular for... Um, the ladies, because we know the ladies are naturally more psychic than the boys. So um, they basically made chocolate the girl's best friend after diamonds and then made you get hooked on it as early as possible. I did not think that, no. But if you'd like to add <laughs> conspiracy to the part, we can. Shall I email David Icke and say, look, David? Yeah, David, you're missing some points here. This is really what's going on. It's about <laughs> Willy's wonky chocolate. And who is Willy Wonka? Who is Willy Wonka? The Yahweh. The real life Willy Wonka is. The Yahweh. It's Yahweh Willy Wonka. <laughs> I thought that the real life Willy Wonka is Angus Thurwell. Thurwell? I can't never say his name. The CEO of Hotel Chocolat, Gremlin, and chairman oh, okay. of the board of the Illuminati. It's oh, all about chocolate. If anyone, if anyone had a chocolate factory that had Umpalumpus chained up making things, it would be it would be him. But I could believe. I don't think it'd be him. It's It's going to be whoever owns Mondelay, surely. Well, I don't know. I think they just employ slave labour from other countries, don't they? I don't think... Angus is crazy enough to actually go on an expedition to find Umpalumpas, right? Whereas okay. other people just nice. enslave third, third, third world countries, the populations of third world countries, you know? That's nowhere near exciting enough or magical enough. Oh, Okay. But no, teach us something about chocolate or grounding or whatever it is you want to talk about. Mundane versus, because I'm presuming that was what it was, mundane versus magical. Or is that comparing and contrasting the, the people that like to sit on their asses and watch Coronation Street, various other soap operas, versus the people that go out into the woods late at night? Not the ones that go dogging, the other ones in the cloaks. <laughs> <laughs> no, what what I wanted what I wanted to make sure we focus on covering is making sure that people aren't spending all their time trying to build practice, uh, you know, uh, protection magics and warding, 
although warding is useful when it comes down to different kinds of pr practice kind of making sure the goldfish bowl has a good seal on it you know to is is kind of what warding is for uh, which is what people don't kind of think of they don't think of warding as their kind of early warning system or the seal on the goldfish fish bowl when they're pouring in interesting waters from somewhere else um they think of the word they use the word protection and the word protection doesn't really do do it justice the word protection for me is like building walls um and hoping that's going to keep everything out um and kind of creating a little tidy hole or a fort um one of those blanket forts that they like children like to make in the in the garden and thinking that's going to protect your practice um when your most effective effective way, methodology of doing that is is going to be your kind of regular grounding and cleansing which is why we make so much a fuss about that um is that it the more integrated that is into your daily practice so that it is um second nature is more important than trying to learn protection magics um mainly because anywhere you go in any book that you read um protection magic is such a wishy-washy subject that no one ever really focus on focuses on anything other than shielding is that the word they like to use or am i thinking of who am i thinking of they, they talk about shielding and then they also talk about that word i can never say anthropotraic apopotraic something like that oh yeah yeah they talk about like charms and things like that most of the books are like oh well you you know you notch this into the wood or you do this you know thing to protect yourself from witchcraft or you know bury this witch bowl or do this do that it's kind of very craft with the magic taken out because they said they they make speculations about how it's done but this is the problem this is the problem that a lot of students always come to us the reason why they come to us is because no one seems to talk about how the magic bit works. It's like, yeah, you can paint fucking glittery bottles all you like. You can go and do that at the uh, at the local community centre the day where they get all of the children in and stuff like that. You know, like those books. I mean, yeah. I am not being funny, but these books, which is like a, a hundred thousand um things to do in the school holidays you know a thousand arts and craft projects or something like that those big books that you see that basically means this make a paper mache bowl and paint it type situation really a lot of these spell books are no different than that i mean they really are i mean at least you could get the book from llewellyn or whatever you know you could even buy some of these fancier ones from like troy books or something like that you know which are like combinations of actual charms and things like that that have been used through the ages but they don't teach you the magical bit and if they don't teach you the magical bit and they just give you a charm or just go and tell you to piss in a bottle and put nails in it or something i think those a thousand projects to do in the holidays books are probably better because at least they've got pictures of how you make the bottle or how you actually make the thing mm. you know so if you're not putting the magic in it, you may as well show them how to make it, like give step-by-step -step instructions or something. 
but I don't know. Is that what uh, what would that be classed as? I always class it as the science of magic or the mechanisms of magic, but some would say that's a more occult philosophy. Like Agrippa had his three books of occult philosophy, and that's closer into getting into well, this is how this works. You know, this energy here. There's these energies. This is how some of it works. I mean, it's not quite to the extent that we do. You don't give him a fucking triangle, does he? And say, this means this, that, do that. And then there's the bit at the end, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I suppose I suppose it is more an occult philosophy um, than it is to be kind of science. I feel like science, the science of witchcraft is far more practical. Um, and although this is get, trying to encourage people to be more practical about it, we're not saying this is what you must do, which I think is what, if it was a science of magic kind of discussion, then that's what it would be, wouldn't it? It'd be actually talking about A plus B equals 94. Um, you know, whereas actually what we're talking about is a healthy magical hygiene is what is needed in order for you to have a safe practice particularly if you're going to be operating up and down. Um, and I think what tends to happen is people who have busy lives forget the most. So if you've got, you know, young children or, you know, um, a stressful job that kind of feeds into your evening uh, when it shouldn't, those sorts of things that have no boundaries, mm. I find tend to have messier magical practices because there's no boundaries and what they don't learn is is about setting them so kind of going okay this is where my this is where my magic goes on um this is where I clean myself this is where um I put magic into my morning so you kind of like people find excuses for not practicing and their excuse is always, I don't have time. Um, whereas actually, if you kind of find that balance between magical and mundane a lot um, more practically, then you'll find that actually you're more powerful when it comes to actually practicing. Because that's what slows people down, is that people don't practice enough. So when they come to do spell work, it's, it's hard work. Mm. Um, whereas it shouldn't be. That, you know, we're still talking about basic practice here of kind of going, oh, OK, well, now I'm going to go and summon such and such or I'm going to go and do a, an in-depth reading into the um, the financial market. Like and they, yeah, find those, they find those things big lifting and those things aren't big lifting. They're small magics. But ultimately, in order to be doing those small magics that they consider to be huge, they're huge because they don't practice enough. They don't use those mu muscles, um, you know, and I think we've compared this to kind of, you know, Olympics before, haven't we? And kind of personal trainer point of view of kind of going, you need to be using those muscles regularly enough so that when you come to lift something heavy, it's not so heavy to you. Whereas, you know, if you stop practicing suddenly, you'll see that deterioration quite quick. Um, and the best way for people to actually have that regular contact, I think they think we need them to cast a spell every week. 
And that's not what we're talking about. I think we need to go right down to basics and say, well, actually, where is your, what do you do first thing in the morning? Do you add magic into your coffee or your first cup of tea when you start in the morning um, or your OT breakfast? Are you actually engaging in those things in that in that kind of morning state? Are you making sure that when you're brushing your teeth at the end of the day or in the beginning of the day, that those cleansing mechanisms are occurring? You know, like, are you putting magic into those mundane parts of your life in order to make sure that you are consistently, consistently, uh, consistently practicing? Why couldn't I say that? That was really hard. I couldn't get my tongue around it. You need to be consistent. Consistency is incredibly important. Like J.K. Rowling says, uh, Harry Potter does his morning cleansing. <laughs> Harry rubs the wand to make the magic happen. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh dear. Disgusting. You've triggered me, Chris. You've triggered me. Disgusting. Um, I'd rather was, yes. So, yeah, so kind of, I think it doesn't get talked about enough and when you talk to people about it it should be second nature it should be something they do all the time because that then means you don't have to do specific you know special warding left right and center if part of your daily routine is making sure those things are done means that those things will generate those spaces if you that kind of routine is what makes that work but people don't think about it enough to actually get into a habit there are ways of adding you know the right um ingredients into their shower gel and their hair shampoo um or their daily hand wash they also don't think about dosing the rest of their family um you know making sure that they are protected when they're doing the bigger work because they're not the people that are likely to have their daily cleanses so if you make them available in their breakfast or when you cook their dinner um so that they are actually getting that kind of nutritional value magically speaking in order to mean that actually when you fuck up and they've botched a big spell and that that smell is hanging around for days afterwards that it's not affecting your entire family um you know like that's the thing that um you know i don't think they think about enough because actually if they were doing all this anyway um rather than doing their kind of standard protections because that's what they call them don't they and I've done my protections. Yeah, but what are you protecting against? Because a protection is quite specific. Negativity, Chris. They're protecting against negativity. That's why so many of them have had to cut you and me out of their lives because we're too negative, Chris. Oh, okay. Is that what we're doing? They've got to be surrounded by positivity. They don't do negativity. Nor do they do nativity. Nativity. The, the evil Jesus. Oh. Sweeping over and destroying their paganism of their ancestors. 
don't know where I'm going with this. I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Fuck it. Let's give stuff away. Super magically important things that no other person seems to be talking about, right? Obviously, we've only got about five minutes left of the regular edition of the, of the podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to speak in code and we're going to talk to you in code because last week people really loved the code, I think. <laughs> so this week we're going to add a little bit of code, but then don't worry, we will break the code and dissect it on the Patreon. So let's see how many of you people can follow along with what's going on. Follow along, what's going on, Chris? That almost kind of rhymes, doesn't it? (laughs) So, you want to talk protection, is that right, and cleansings and stuff like that? Is that what this wonky chocolate factory podcast is all about? The wonky chocolate factory is all about making sure that your balance is there. So, less about protection, more about cleansy, cleansy, groundy stuff. Okay. Now... How do people protect themselves in the mundane world? We're talking just mundane. Condoms. Hobnobs, did you say? Condoms. Condoms. That is a form of protection, yes, Mr. Chris, right? You see, this is the problem that I'm seeing with some magical practitioners. Some magical fuckwits would think, I know what to do. I'm going to make me a giant energetic condom and roll it over my head. Not the little head, Chris, like the big head, their astral head all over their body. And like being a little bubble. They talk about like being in the astral egg. This this magical fuckwits in in a magical condom, right? Now, in the mundane world, we need to think that we take precautions for protection and such for specific reasons and those specific reasons generally speaking are ones that we understand even if they're ones we only understand a little bit now there are some forms of protection that we do take in the mundane world that we do not understand the reason for it but we put our trust in others right so if you go down in a mine and there you as i've done recently going down in the mine like big pit in wales right and you've got to take off your watches and your phones and all of that sort of stuff they tell you you've got you're not allowed to take any electronic equipment down the mine i don't fully understand why but it's got something to do with some sort of chemical reaction or something that can end up making the whole fucking thing blow up i don't fully understand it but i put trust in the person that's telling me the miner you know oh, don't take that down the mine, right? Let's think about things that we do understand because it's not something that all mundanes have understood from birth, but they've grown up learning things. So the first thing that we do is we tend to wash. I know this may be hard to believe in the neo-pagan community that some people wash every day, but it's true. Chris, you wash every day, don't you? Well, wash parts of me every day parts of you every day i wash myself every day right is is getting rid of all of the bacteria and washing the body and stuff like that right because there's a bacteria festering and stuff hygiene is super important because bad hygiene is a breeding ground and environment for, for nasty funky shit 
to go wrong with your body and your environment and such, right? It, it escalates. Hygiene from an energetic perspective, of course, is going to be the same. What other things do we do to protect ourselves? Because that's the form of cleansing and washing. But in terms of protection, people will often think self-defense. Well, one of the most smartest ways to protect yourself is to think about the future, to think about things that you understand that could go wrong and trying to stop them from going wrong. So if you're getting attacked on the way home from a pub, why not leave that pub with friends? Safety in numbers, right? Why not leave that pub before chucking out time where all of the junkers get thrown out and that's where the majority of fights and muggings and troublesome things happen, right? Chucking out time when the pubs close, right? Why not think about let's let's change this journey home. Let's take a preemptive, put some extra thought, and we'll go with that, you know, rather than oh, I'm gonna start carrying knives around with me. No, let's not let's see if we can avoid the situation in the first place. So magical hygiene, physical hygiene is about avoiding getting it contamination and disease and being genuinely skanky in general. You know, taking a different route home that doesn't go through the back alleys that stays in the street lights where there's lots of people milling about is preemptive, right? A lot of people, when they think about defensive magic, they think I need to defend myself from a physical magical attack and such. Actually, it begins before that. So that's it for the regular edition of the No Holds Barred Witchcraft podcast. So if you're a baby, like an actual baby, the sort of baby that can't even support his own head, you know, literally only a couple of months old, and you basically flail about, don't you? You're pretty dumb, don't know a lot. You don't even know what these arms and legs are. You just kind of flail them about, can't walk or nothing. As people progress, as people get older, the vast majority of them learn stuff. There's the small majority that don't, that continue to be in basically a flailing around vegetable, right? But most people learn something. And we get taught generally, or we're supposed to be taught by our parents, if they're not, you know, basically abusive, uh, how to look after ourselves and we are raised by parents, family members, you know. They say it takes a village to raise a child, you know, I definitely agree with that. But you learn, don't you? You learn how to brush your teeth, you learn how to do potty, you know. You learn the reasons why you brush your teeth and why you're supposed to do potty, not in the corner of the room like an animal. Like the hamster in its cage, you know, don't just let it fall out wherever it falls out. You know, you put it in that bowl with the water in the bottom with the magical thing and then it disappears before your very eye, right? You learn how to do the washing in the bath time and that, yeah? All of this is important life lessons. Are there any important life lessons, Chris, for a magical practitioner? that is just going into the magical world for the first time. Because the difference between the baby and the would-be magical practitioner that's starting on their journey is the baby's supposed to be dumb and really, if it's going to live, it needs to be fed. Whereas what we have with magical practitioners that are just starting out is they're already people, they're already adult, even if they're kind of children, they're already smart enough to have a mundane life, right? 
but they also have a magical sight. They also have a magical life. They just aren't completely unaware of it. They don't know what their astral body is up to. They don't know fuck all about anything. They don't even know if this magic like even is a thing. They're just wanting to experiment. But they're worried because of the TV shows and films and such that some bad stuff can happen if I lit, light a black flame candle. Three ugly sisters are going to come along and try to turn me into some sort of, I don't know, potion to make them eternally beautiful or something like that, right? They're scared of that, okay? So can we go through ideas for step-by-step step what you would lead, need to know? for logical, magical hygiene and protection? Where does it start? Do we start with learning to walk, Chris? Because the kids learn to walk. You like to send people off on a walk, don't you? Is that a good place to start? I don't know. Well, for me, it's all about awareness. Start one is kind of getting to that preemptive part, that pre-awareness. Um, and that only goes with actually exploring, um, you know, so this the way in which that we tell people to start practicing is you know yes i say go for a walk um what i normally mean by that is go and interact with things that are in your vicinity you know you being outside of your main the house that you live in where you have full control in theory um you have full control of that environment what grows in the garden what grows in the house what's in your cupboards, what's on your bed, all those things are in your control. Whereas what's in your sock drawer? Yeah. So stepping into your um stepping out into your wider environment and getting to know what is there is kind of safety 101. You know, what where is where is the local police station? Where is you know, like that's what you'd get a, a child to know. Where are the things that they need to get to? They need to know where the bus stops are, need to know where school is, need to know where the policeman is, need to know where emergency phone is. Now, nowadays, we carry mobile phones with us everywhere, so we hope that that last one is always covered. But in the magical perspective, that walk is for getting to know that. What is in energetically in that area that you might have to have interaction with at some point? So, you know, to really ba make it really, really basic, start with your cardinal energies of your, um, you know, your four elements. Where are they in relations to your actual practice? You know, where's your local woodland? Where's your local pond or, or swimming pool or whatever it is that has that kind of reaction? Where, you know, where are your big sources of power for fire? Like, you know, in the modern day, we think about power lines um, so where is your electrical station? Where are things like that? Where are your local amenities that kind of give you that feeling of where everything is? Um, where would you go if I told you to go and go somewhere that you would associate with one of those cardinal energies? Where would you go if you if were asked to go and find where the embodiment of air would be? And the reason I pick that one is because people go, um, out their back garden and they look straight up um okay yes air is all around you wind is all always available but where would you access it the most obvious you know not, not everybody has a local wind turbine um although they are becoming more and more available these days 
um they're quite a big fad um for for a reason but the um you know where would you find those embodiments of those places could you tell me where your nearest waterfall or natural spring is could you tell me where where the rivers and canals and things around you actually go in which direction they flow do you know any of those things um now those things all probably sound really hippie but these are all part of your kind of uh, beginner's toolkit you know when we talk about finishing a spell and getting rid of it where would you be getting rid of it um if you've just moved in do you have a compost heap is there somewhere that you can dig up in your garden you know depending on how dark and uh, mysterious some of those magics are would you want to dump them in your garden where they're still within your actual space these are all kind of basic questions that you should be able to answer if you were having any kind of chat with us um as as a patreon obviously you can have those one-to-ones with us are you could you actually answer all those questions I would hope that a beginner could answer those. So as somebody that's normally been practicing five or 10 years, which is the main group of people that tend to spend time with us, um, are people that have been practicing for some time. I've been practicing magic for 15 years. (laughs) And in that 15 years, what have you done? Yeah. The same thing over and over again. I call some quarters. I've done the tarot readings. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've got to tell you about. No, I can't tell you about that on the podcast. Remind me to tell you about the drama department after the podcast. Okay, Chris. Okay. Um, so, as above, so below, this is one of those uh, seven hermetic principles. Very, very important. Your magical journey starts here as above so below because you don't need any magical training to know a little bit about the magical world because of this old principle of as above so below so write down a little list because we're talking protective magic here write down a little list of protections and things that you do to stop the bad shit from happening in the mundane world and then know that everything on that list there is a magical equivalent so for example if i was to write down wait a minute in the mundane world there are con artists that seek to trick me into handing over my hard-earned money and such in the mundane world that's true in the magical world that's also true but what could that mean could that mean that these magical practitioners that are selling the center of excellence courses ain't really teaching you magic and they're conning you into thinking that you're going to learn magic by spending 120 quid on a diploma course that teaches you fuck all maybe that could be the magical carnivores but could it also be that person that shows up on your door pretend to be from the gas company that wants to be let in but they actually just want to be let in so that they can mug you could that be in a magical sense a spirit pretending to be something else 
as above, so below. If there are people in the world pretending to be something else to trick you, there are going to be things in the magical world also that are pretending to be something to trick you. How do you tell if that person that knocked on your door that says they're from the gas company and needs to check your valve or do a meter reader or something, how do you know that they are that thing? How do you know a spirit? that presents itself in a certain way is the spirit that it tells you. These are all things that you should be writing down on a fucking piece of paper. I'm thinking, how do I know? Next thing, as above, so below. If I uh, walk along the street and step in a dog turd, in a mundane sense, that's not good. Trapes in that back. There's all sorts of nasty bacteria in it that they say can make you go blind. Isn't that right, Chris? I don't know yes. exactly. But yeah, dog poo can make you blind. It's not pleasant substance. What is the magical equivalent of that, though? Because if you're magically on a little jolly and such, you're picking up things. Some of these things are good. Some of these things are bad. When I walk along the street, I don't always step in dog poo. But if I got a brand new shoe or two brand new shoes, because I've got two legs and two feet, funny enough. If I've got some brand new shoes on, by the end of the week, those shoes are going to have things on the bottom of them. They're going to be a little bit dirty. They're going to be things that I've picked up, right, on my travels and such. As above, so below. What are you picking up? Magically speaking, how does one get rid of that? How does one clean their shoes? How does one clean their body? What does it mean? magically speaking all of these lists that you can compile and if you do compile them put them in the witchcraft life uh facebook group or put them on the patreon or something like that because i'd be interested to think you know see what your thought process is from mundane problems mundane things that you need to protect yourself and what the magical equivalents of those are nice little brainstorming session but that's what any beginner should be doing that's what any witchcraft school should be teaching, is they should be teaching magic from the perspective of the student and what the student already knows. And if it's a human student, the chances are the human knows about living life as a fucking human. You don't need to start talking about this egg luck, this egg shit, if, you know, until the stage comes when you need to be thinking about actual protection. And this is a big problem with how magic's taught, I think, is that there's a big divorce between that. The magic books show it. Oh, it's all right. You just need a black candle or a red candle for protection because that's all aggressive and scary-like and it's powerful, that is. So just use a bit of that and some fire and a little bit of other elements and stuff and that's your protection. Okay, well, why and how does that work? Well, I don't need protection. The god and goddess are on my side. When I need protection, Lady Snake, when she needs protection, she runs to the safety and comfort of the goddess or god, goddess, goddess, whatever, altar space, as she does, doesn't she? Yeah. God and goddess, please protect Lady Snake and all that jazz. So... What is the equivalent of that in the mundane world? That That is essentially hiring a bodyguard, isn't it, normally? Is that hiring a bodyguard? Or is that getting 
big brother or big sister in the school to go beat up the bullies and all that kind of thing how are you going to do that it's just asking going to help probably not you just ask a bodyguard will you be my bodyguard they'll probably say yes but they'll expect payment for it Hmm. well you know this is the thing you think about local amenities their fire department the obviously if you're over here um in the uk that includes doctors and nurses um but you know and the police officer those all come out of your taxes you already pay for that whoop whoop nhs i'm getting money from the nhs chris it's good because there's too many fat people in the uk oh okay so the you know but the obviously there are those those things are there you pay a little bit to them all the time yeah in order to make sure that they are available when you need them um that is how that concept works and the same is in theory what people do with protection based you know spirit arrangements however the big difference there is the you know that the if they don't turn up and they don't do their job um that there's somebody else enforcing them above it so do you have an understanding of how that works in the magical context do you understand who's making sure that they are going to be in there in those crisis moments where you need them you know squid games chris squid games okay in this thing called squid games is on netflix i think it might be amazon prime i think it's netflix it's basically groups of people that have to do tasks and such and at the end of the task basically people always die now there's there's one scene in squid games where they have a group of people that have to cross this glass bridge and they have to jump on these glass squares one of the glass squares in front of them they need to pick from one or the other so number one or number two one of those glass squares is normal glass and if they jump onto it they will smash through and fall to their death right the other one is bulletproof glass that they can jump on and it's fine now the problem is is they don't know which glass is which because squid games they didn't let them bring their tarot cards out chris unfortunately mm-hmm. the psychics are useless with that the tarot cards you know but on squid games what happens is as above so below okay remember this kids the first person takes a chance takes a risk that risk may pay off that risk may not pay off now it's not just two pings that they have to do because it's a bridge so they've got to jump onto the first one and if they don't fucking fall through it guess what there's another two pings of glass in front of them what happens is all of the people that went before you in the line they're probably all dead because the first person jumped onto the pane and splattered and smashed through the second person knows well i saw which one smashed there's all there i'm going to go on the other one but then that other person then makes a mistake and jumps in front of them on the wrong pane of glass and now the person behind them knows two of the correct panes of glass to jump on you see where there where where i'm going with this this is magical knowledge this is you hope that you're in the back of the queue because if you are as these fashionable it is very fashionable to, fashionable to be a solitary practitioner now 
If you're a solitary practitioner, then understand this. You are the first person in that fucking queue to be jumping on the glass. And it is possible for you to get every single sequence correct. It is possible for you to jump on all of the bulletproof glass panels and make it to the other side of the bridge. But do you know what? The odds are never in your favor. <laughs> like in the Hunger Games, the odds are never in your never in your favor. Pulling together resources and such can be one of those good things. I've seen many bad black lodges do this, where they will literally they talk about sacrifice. Sacrifice very often doesn't mean slitting the throats of people and sacrificing them. What it means is using them to jump first hurdles where the people that run the lodges, they let them skedaddle off in front, notice which ones fall to their death and which ones don't. Experimentation, exploitation and such. But also in a legitimate coven, in a legitimate organisation of magic, you're working together as a group to pull your knowledge together and perfect the system. In Squid Games, there was one person in the group that used to work for a glass company. And you could tell by the light reflection, the difference between the two glass panels. So they were able to use one person's knowledge in that group that benefited the whole group, right? People still died though. I mean, it's Squid Games. Now, we've had many a magical practitioner come before us. You know, it's the 21st century. There are lots of clues and secrets and stuff out there that other magicians and witches and stuff have put down. Here's the problem, though. Why is it that they're so fucking difficult to understand? Why is it that there really aren't that many good books published? Why is it that there aren't really any really good, decent courses? Why is that? Either magic don't really exist, don't actually work, so there is no magic, therefore there is no magical books to tell you. Or something else is up. I'm wondering what people think that thing is. Because we had a very interesting conversation earlier, Chris, with our friend the map maker. We're talking about the secrets of henges. And now she is aware of the secrets of henges and uses them and has used them. And we said about, well, are you going to pass this knowledge on? You can pass this knowledge on. You can make it more easy for others to use the hinges you found, the network. We call it the network. Now, interesting. Interesting why the mapmaker said no. Interesting why so many magical practitioners in the past have said no. Interesting how some of the ones that said yes, there's a barrier to entry. The barrier to entry. One has to prove something, prove themselves in some way, shape or form in order to get the map that the map maker has created, presumably. What are your thoughts on this then? What are your thoughts on teaching and teachers and learning from a solitary magical practitioner's perspective? Because magic's dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's kind of the first thing you need to remember is actually, you know, there is risk with magical practitioner. 
like that is the whole kind of point being a magical practitioner is is risky um there is a certain amount of safety in numbers which is why i think a lot of people go looking for covens and such because i think safety in numbers but actually there is also a thing to be learned where you trust your own instinct and i think that is probably one of the best things you could possibly do is improve and improve that instinct now you only approve instinct by taking risk and actually having a go you know if you were i don't know a wood turner you would end up with lots of times where you've fucked up that leg of that chair but each time that you fuck it up you learn something new about what that material does what is different about that particular wood than a different wood um you know the difference between pine and then ash is one of those one of those things that you learn through practice um practice makes perfect there's a reason these um these phrases exist they're cliches for a reason um what's important is that you're practicing you know it goes back to this kind of mastery idea you know good old masters in the guilds 10,000 hours then provide a masterpiece um, in order to prove to other practitioners that you are actually capable of being a master of that practice um obviously the same hours served are not the same. Someone that has natural talent may get a lot further in 10,000 hours than someone that's a bit shit, um, a tryhard, shall we say. But, you know, there are lots of, lots of ways in which that can be improved by having conversations. Now, the beauty of anyone kind of listening on here is, you know, we have created those. Witchcraft Live, No Holds Barred, um, the groups within kind of Patreon. There is opportunities for you to, as a group, still stay as solitary, sovereign practitioners, but be able to share your ideas, share your learning with each other so that, you know, um, you've seen other people's errors as well as your own. The more errors you see, the more fuck-ups that you see, um, the more good practice you see, the mixture of those things you'll learn more and more faster and faster if more than one of you is fucking up. Now, I focus on that because I'm a teacher, so my day in my day job, you know, we have this constant... Um, argument about how important mistakes are the more mistakes you make the more opportunities you've got there for learning um you know to the point because of the profile of the people i teach means we don't call them mistakes mistakes has a negative context uh, context well, I saw so. a lot of have been called mistakes all throughout their life so exactly so you avoid that word what we say is feature you know, that's a feature. Yeah. Now you know it's handmade because okay. a robot would a robot would either not make that mistake or would repeat the mistake over and over again. You have the ability to learn that that from your mistake. That's the whole point of making one. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I don't, I don't feel everyone needs to be in a coven. What I think is important is it is hard to operate as an island. You know, you need to be seeing other people's practice and comparing yourselves to them. Not in a not in a negative way. What I'm talking about is actively seeking out new opportunities for you to improve your practice. Trying something else someone else did, even if they did it badly. Watching and actually analysing what they did wrong and going, oh, OK, well, if I do it this way, maybe that that process would have worked for them. Maybe they've missed a point, missed a step. Or they've, you know, used the wrong ingredient. What's important is that you're exploring the whole time. And I think even as practitioners like ourselves that have been practising for a ridiculous amount of time, it's helpful for us to see other people making mistakes because it reminds you the mistakes you've made and can then kind of give you a new creative reach around for something that you're doing that is completely unrelated. You know, it doesn't need to be that you'll do it, you know, they're all talking about practical, you know, they're all talking about protection magic. Well, actually, what I'm about to go do is fuck somebody up. But actually listening to that conversation about protection magic might just make you think suddenly, oh, what kind of protections might they have? You know, the same way Hex and Heal, we teach side by side, is kind of for that reason. In order to kind of hex someone better, you kind of need to know how how their healing process works. How to how to delay said healing practice or stop it altogether um being aware of what other practitioners are doing and being able to kind of absorb and understand what they've done will always give you more and ultimately i could say never buy a book i really could i think in this day and age practitioners wise i think you'll learn more by going to a local group and seeing how shit they all are um than you would by buying some beginner's book about something. Um, I think there's enough out there for you to kind of understand where people are at. I had uh, one of those ones that come crawling back this week. So someone I mentored, well, someone I was teaching a number of years ago now who was very, very, very impatient with learning magic. And I tried to sit them down. I tried to get them to do small things. No, I need the big thing. I need to make a million. I need to make millions of pounds. I need to use the tarot cards to make millions of pounds. Let's start reading for, you know, what's going on next week first before we start going into this. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's not fair. I'm not good at this. I can't. I can't. You can in your pocket and try. Just do it. Okay, relax, calm down, let's go through logically. But I want to do the big thing. I need to do it now. I need it now. This person went off in a strop a number of years ago. They literally this week have come back and said, Liam, I want to start learning the proper magic again. I know 
I need to learn it slowly and I need to learn it methodically and I need to break off something that I can actually chew and digest. Right, okay, we'll do that. Why don't you go and try doing this spell or that spell or this ritual or that ritual and they come back to me? Okay, comes back. I can't do it. Can't do what? Magic. Right. What What about magic can't you do? Where are you going wrong? I just can't do it. Right. Well, try telling me what you've done, what you were expecting to happen, what you were attempting to do. All of this data input. Why don't you come back to me with that? Well, I just can't do it. Just can't do magic. So, but tell me what you've done. Have you noticed a pattern with some of the people that are just absolutely shite and the people that are not great, but put effort in and finally get there? Is this concept of when they first come back, this is the real clue to know which camp you're in, by the way. If you come to me or Chris or anyone else, really, and you come back saying, I tried to do this, I did that. I thought this was going to happen, that ended up happening, I thought it worked this way, I don't know how it works, but I suspect it might be one of these different ways. If you come back with the first things that come out of your mouth as things that, hypothesis, things that you thought about long and hard, and you thought this is how I think it works, this is how I thought it would work, this is how I, what I thought I would feel, and this is what actually happened, this is where it went wrong, this is where I think it went wrong. Liam, Chris, please tell me what you think. If you compare that person to the person that comes back and says, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. And when you're trying to coax out of them, what went wrong? Well, I just couldn't do it. Ask yourselves which camp you fall into. Because I see the people that come during our mentor sessions, Chris, with their notes, right? They've made little notes about what they were trying to do, what they've ended up feeling, whether... And the people that come back that are fucking failed, guess what? They still come back with notes. They still come back with ideas as to what went wrong. Even if it, they aren't correct with what went wrong, they've thought about it. They've really tried to put effort in, okay? Now, some people would say that, well, you'll spend more time, Liam and Chris, with the people that help themselves because I know you help those that help themselves. That's to a certain extent true. But what's more important actually, what's actually getting them there is, yes, we will provide answers and stuff as and when we can, but that just speeds up the process. If you don't develop the critical thinking in the first place, because you've got to remember, if these people came to us and they said, I think this went wrong, blah, 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 blah. They've got notes. They've got ideas, right? They're coming to us for advice. But that person that has ideas, that person that analyzes where things go wrong and such, they're eventually probably going to get to the answer or they stand a very good chance of getting to the answer themselves it's going to take them a lot longer but they will get there they'll get somewhere they'll get some sort of improvement and from that improvement they'll extrapolate and think well why is it working now what have i done different oh i've done this this and this different right please think about the paths you're on 
please take them seriously. If you expect to be taken seriously. Now, I hope that I don't end up saying that and that upsets people because I'm not picking on anyone individually, you know. I'm just saying this as a specific thing. And yes, this person that did come back to me is not someone that you'll see in the group or on the Patreon because they're not a member. They don't do social media. Um, but it was unfortunate to see after the first piece of homework I set them, nothing changing. I'm continuing to say I cannot do it, despite me telling them, please present what you know, what you tried. Please tell me anything other than, I can't do it. But that's it for this episode of the No Horse Bard Witchcraft Podcast. This was the Willy's Wonky Chocolate Factory, which, did we get to the bottom of why it was called that, Chris? I think so. Okay, good, because I went over my head. But there we go. Bye, everyone.